0: Pick your
1: Hello and welcome to the Andyplex, the podcast where we talk about films we love with creatives. I'm your host, Andy Maiorano, and this is episode thirty-three. Call the ambulance. I'm here with dear friend, screenwriter, producer, podcaster, cinephile, and action aficionado Phil Gawthorne, joining me today to talk about the 2022 action crime thriller, Ambulance. Welcome, Phil. Thank you. Thank you. Um, so excited to be here.
0: Uh, thank you again for, for having, me, having me back. Uh, thrilled to be here and get into this one.
1: Yes, I, um, I love you, Phil, and you were my first guest, and this is now your third episode of this show, so you're a regular, and I have you to thank for even getting this thing going. I had a different podcast with some friends called Sons of Carpenter, and we were in the process of kind of winding down with that, and there was a lot of us, and I'm happy for the, the experience I gleaned from that show, because it was really the formula for how I break down shows on movies on this show. But anyway, you really wanted to, to, to do it and you stayed on me and we ended up doing a, a, a Carpenter Fog, Foggy Days, episode one, right before the hammer came down of the pandemic. So anyway, I'm very nostalgic now of the whole thing and it's so good to have you back. Thank
0: you, Andy. No, it's, it, it does stir up a lot of... uh very fond feelings, kind of being back here because it was the the inaugural episode, and then you were kind enough to have me back, and you know you inspired me to go on my own kind of podcast adventure as well. So you know I've definitely got the I've got the warm and fuzzies in my heart too, and I love you too, buddy. Thank you. It's, it's great to it's great the to best, be here, Phil.
1: and I love your show, Die Hard on a Blank. Thank you. Uh, you and Liam's. Amazing breakdown of action cinema post Die Hard, hence Die Hard on a blank, where you analyze movies that came after Die Hard and and look at its evaluate forensically its DNA. And I just I, I just love it. I, I just think it's such a good show and I'm a big fan. So um Anything anything you want to say about that show? Thank you. I mean
0: that, that's very very kind words. I really appreciate it. you've been a, an enthusiastic supporter of the show from from day one and I you know came on your show to plug it uh, during the Blue Thunder yes. episode which this film and has British some, Lightning. some Yes, Blue Thunder and British Lightning. You being the British Lightning. Uh, never forget. Um You know, in terms of what it... This correlates to Die Hard on a Blank somewhat in the sense that, like, one of the reasons I wanted to do this show, uh, you know, talk about it on your show, was I'm going to have to wait several years, probably, to discuss it on Die Hard on a Blank because the way we do it with Die Hard on a Blank is that we go chronologically. Right. Um, So it's... So that over time you are tracking the evolution of the action genre as it mutates and evolves and adapts. And... Um, uh, but, but because of that, we're, we're only up to um, sort of nineteen ninety four. Okay. Um, so but, six years in. Yeah. So we're so, so we're way,s entire. away from a twenty twenty one movie like Ambulance. But I just couldn't yeah. wait. That I was like, I have to talk about this movie, and you kindly gave me the the forum to do it. But I, there is an interesting intersection with the show in the sense that uh, we're actually about to do Speed, um, which this film is. Sort of an antecedent, or, or or rather, um, uh, you know, progeny of of speed, right? I hope I'm using that (laughs) terminology correctly. But you you know, one of the things that we've talked about on the show is the way that you know the DNA analogy. It sort of branches off, right? For example, the fugitive. Um, which was a movie that we did recently, isn't necessarily like a Die Hard on a blank scenario, although it does contain a lot of Die Hard DNA. But essentially, it sort of it had some Die Hard influences, but it created its own kind of action movie paradigm that then spun off and created a new sort of DNA strand. And I think that this film um, traces its lineage uh, most closely back to Speed. But there were a number of other films uh, along that DNA thread. You know, the, the before that, there's like Runaway Train or even like Bullet Train, which was like a Japanese movie, not the Love recent one. one, but the Japanese movie from the 70s. Oh, no, I'm thinking of the new one. Uh, the yeah, new one is that. the new one's really, really fun, too. But there there is there's one from the 70s. Then then there is Runaway Train from 1985, which was based on a script by Akira Kurosawa, fascinatingly, oh, wow. and was directed by uh, Andrei Gonchalevsky. Uh, who um russian auteur who went on to make tango and cash which is a famously tortured production but then uh, then you have speed which sort of perfected this type of a runaway kind of move, runaway vehicle movie and then in the middle you also have like unstoppable
1: and then even before that you have ah the final tony scott
0: the 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 ultimate tony scott one of one of his many masterpieces in my opinion amazing, is getting yeah. a amazing of, director yeah, someone that I mean, I literally choked up talking about Tony on on the show in our Last Boy Scout episode. I because I, he means so much to me as a as a working class lad from the north of England who you know kind of um, blazed this incredible trail and left it, it was a true artist and visionary and left this extraordinary legacy of films that it seems like only now is starting to get um, the critical acclaim that. That it maybe deserved at the time because it was seen as more just commercial pop, uh, you know, uh, cinema rather than what it what it actually is is incredible art that happened to also be commercial entertainment. Yes. Um, in my in, you know in my humble opinion. So and I think Ambulance is kind of um, Tony Scott adjacent uh, in in some ways, even though it is definitively a Michael Bay movie. There are, there is some of that. There are some of those echoes in there, so uh, yeah, those. Are my I love points. that. And thoughts I, on that.
1: I could not agree more with that sentiment. And Tony is is present with me all the time. But just to get, to back up and give a little bit of um, relativity here, you and I hung out. Actually, the three of us, Paul Gonzalez as well, has also been on the show, and uh, the three of us were out and having a little food. And then I came back to your place. And I was just like, I want you back, Phil. I want you back on my show. <laughs> and uh, I want you back bad. <laughs> and I was like, what's lately... Wasn't it, wasn't
0: it the other way around where I was like begging you to like, can I come on? Can I come on? Um, oh, man. You're being I very think, kind by visiting no, I think it was that me that like, way, I need but, you back okay. right away. Oh, well, thank you. Yes.
1: And I'm, I kind of took a little break where... I mean, you're always, you're always nudging me politely about, you know, how's the show coming along? You're still doing episodes and... I would do an episode and take a couple months off. Do an episode, and take a couple months off, but I'm now on a on a streak, and I'm actually to the point where I'm working ahead of myself. And I think it, you've been a big inspiration, and your show has been an inspiration for me. And I just uh, I love our chats, and uh, I got to hang out in your backyard, which I love to to chill in and talk. And the sun set, and we actually it was it set while we were at dinner, and then came back to your place. And I just said, what lately has been You know, doing it for you because there's been a lot of there's been a lot of movies that have just been bombing. It's been really rough for Hollywood right now, besides Barbenheimer, which is thriving, being Barbie and Oppenheimer. But there's been just kind of D.C. has just been whiffing at the box office. It's just been a big, expensive bomb after a big, expensive bomb. And I remember thinking, what is Phil into lately that's really been talking to you at the box office? And you were like, actually, Ambulance. And it was last year, but you recommended it last year, and I watched it right away. I think it went on Netflix. I did not see it in the theater because it was kind of like that post-pandemic period where the box office was, I wasn't going. And of course, I built a little home theater here, the Plex, and I got to watch it here and on Netflix, and it, it blew me away. And I immediately thought, this feels like a 90s movie reincarnated exactly as a, a now movie. Exactly. And when you brought it up the other day, when we were hanging out in your backyard, I thought... My God, yes. And here I am thinking, this must have been a much more expensive movie than it was. And it's like a $40 million movie. And it looks like a $200 million movie. And I just revisited it yesterday. And then I watched it again today. It's amazing. It's it's just... And it's such a Phil movie. <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> I have uh, some, something to say about that, yeah.
1: Yeah. Um... Yeah, go ahead.
0: Well, you know... Uh, they asked, there was a question on what, you know, the social media platform, formerly known as Twitter, that, that I've recently got <laughs> right. a little bit more involved in, just as it seems to be burning, <laughs> burning down. <laughs> but the, one of the plus sides of it has been the conversations that you have with fellow cinephiles. Um, and what, someone, someone will post some something that might be, you know, a question who? What's the greatest uh, character that was is in a movie for one scene or something like that? And it kind of sparks, you know, uh, an interesting discussion. And someone had posted, "What movie um, do you think was made just for you personally?"
1: Uh-huh.
0: And you know, and this was my answer. And in fact, what I actually said was, um, "I think that Michael Bay may have raided my mind, la <laughs> Inception, and nice. uh, <laughs> and then and then made Ambulance." For me personally, and there was a moment in the film, and I love you know, that. I don't want to jump too far ahead. Certainly, because it is, it is a '90s film kind of reincarnated. It, it really has, is. it's all practical. Um, it's oh kind of stripped down. Um, there's virtually no CGI. Um, it's, it has that '90s. You know, '90s were kind of the golden age of action movies and practically shot action movies. Um, you know, for for the most part. Um, in the pre-superhero Hollywood landscape. So it certainly speaks to me on that level. But there was one... And it has all of the iconography of things that I love, which are, you know, helicopters, SWAT teams, high-speed pursuits... Los Angeles shot beautifully. We talked about a bunch of this stuff in Blue Thunder, where this ha- which, yeah, which has I, some direct echoes.
1: So much Blue Thunder here. So
0: much Blue Thunder, especially the uh, L.A. River sequence. L.A. River. The, the, the point where my soul Helicopters. leapt out of my body. <laughs> um, but there was one particular yes. moment in the film that made me feel like this was made for me personally, which is the scene when um, the two brothers, played by um, Jake uh, Gyllenhaal and... And Yaya, who played Danny and and uh, and, and Will Sharp in the film, um, they they take in the middle of this high speed pursuit, um, they take out their uh, you know iPhone or iPod, and start playing "Sailing" by Christopher Cross <laughs> to calm down. And if you know me, you know that I love yacht rock. And I love that song in particular in a totally unironic way. Like I absolutely love. Just straight up love it. That. I straight up love it. It's not not in a winking kind of way. Like mm-hmm. I truly love this music. There was an, actually an incredible uh, web series uh, that came in. It was like 10 plus years ago that was called Yacht Rock. And they had characters <laughs> playing all the iconic. I know Macdonald, it's a Spotify and, a Spotify uh, channel as well. Is that? Oh yeah, and actually, there's a musical I think that they're now making into a movie with Woody Harrelson. So yacht rock is uh, this isn't this is a well-known kind of thing. I'm not I'm not sort of I'm not splitting the atom here by bringing (laughs) this up, but. if you know me, you know yacht that, that, Rockenheimer. I, I just can't believe that in this movie that was so me already. To just put the cherry on the cake, there was this this the best, the most iconic yacht rock song, which was not set up at all and was completely out of nowhere. Yet felt correct because of their age, because they were sort of, uh, you know, they were they were referencing their childhood from the eighties, and it was just like. He made this film for me, yeah, <laughs> and I love him. <laughs> I already did, and I, I actually think that you know Michael Bay. We could talk about him too, and I think he's a, actually a. In the same way, I love Michael Bay in an non-ironic way, and and it's not, these are things that aren't necessarily fashionable or hip or cool to say, right? Because people, there's a sort of um, sneering snobbery around, especially Michael in Bay, the I mean,
1: the film right? cinephile exactly. subcultures that yeah. we it, we walk in and. The, we, run
0: in. we talked about this term that Liam brought up a term on, I think it was our Ricochet episode, about this idea of vulgar tourism, right? That there were certain uh, filmmakers, in that case we were talking about Russell Mulcahy, who directed Highlander and ver- okay. you know, various others, and how basically there's filmmakers that... Do, um, are getting a kind of critical reappraisal as vulgar auteurs, and this is the terminology that they use, and Michael Bay is sort of arguably like the poster boy for this for this critical movement. And, you know, I, I actually think, you know, I think most people would probably feel that The Rock is a pretty unassailable action masterpiece, um, and he's made, you know, some films of that are varying degrees of, um, you know, quality, Um, but I actually think that 13 Hours is a masterpiece on the level of Black Hawk Down. A a legitimate masterpiece, a legitimate war, um, action, human drama, incredible, pretty much perfect film. Yeah. And I've watched that many, many times. Uh, I think that is an extraordinary film. Uh, I think that he's just... Michael Bay is just raw talent, you know? He's just... It's it's like... um, Cyclops without the glasses on, (laughs) but talent, you know? Um, It's just a raw explosion of energy. And I think he's kind of um, a bit of a a misunderstood and underappreciated genius. And I wonder if it's a little bit like Tony Scott in that respect, you know? Like people don't necessarily, if you're working in the action genre, there is a little bit of turning your nose up at it. But in his own way... You know his composition of images, his kinetic style, his sound, sonic, you know, sonic soundscapes. The it's all distinctly his. He certainly is an auteur by definition, I would say. You know, um, and he often does return to the same, um, the same themes and same iconography. Now, you know, the hardcore film snobs would probably chuckle at me and, and uh, you know, heckle me for saying this, but I stand by it. You know, I think, and that there might be a time when we'll look back and be like, you know, this. How would people look at this filmmaker's films uh, with a bit of critical distance, in the way we're starting to get with Tony Scott now? And you realise that these films are kind of extraordinary kinetic paintings. They're not just you popcorn. Fluff. They're not just that. Yeah. You know, they—they, they, you know, there's a lot of. I mean, it's so satisfying on a visceral level. So satisfying. Um, but I just think he is like a, a cinematic visionary um and i love him i really really think he's uh, i'm you with know, you Phil. A, a genius uh, you know and it, in the lane in which he is operating yeah um he's extraordinary and i think he's arguably the best
1: the best that there is i really i went through the evolution of so i saw the rock very young i think i not when it came out and i remember being offered to go see either that or twister in the theater in 96 so i would have been 12 Sport born in 84, and I chose the Twister route, and also a big fan of that movie, and um, you know, Jan DeBont, speaking of speed, seeing The Rock not much later, I want to say when it went to HBO, and I was at my friend's house who had HBO, we didn't have it, and loved it, and then I rented it a lot, and I was like, this movie's incredible, it's a, it's a really, it's a masterpiece, and it really is, and I love that it's referenced here in this film, yeah, there is a bit of meta stuff Very going on
0: meta. that that did throw me for a loop when I first was watching. But it's it, well but done. I, it's I've, not since, hammy. I've since kind of got on board with it, but I was a little bit weirded I, out by it at yeah, first. Yeah, maybe a, for maybe yeah. a little wink.
1: Yeah, but it fits. We'll get to that in a moment, but because I think it fits so well, even though it's like, oh yes, this, now you're now you're aware you're watching a Michael Bay movie. It's a nod to another Michael Bay movie, but it it, it works so well in the, the some of the sub themes of the movie. So well that it, I don't think it's too hammed up. You could argue maybe a little, but I, I think it's done really well. But I saw The Rock, and then I, I saw some of the other ones, and I just didn't, I just didn't get it. And this was a while ago, and I was kind of in the critical camp of Michael Bay for a while, but I am no longer at all. I and once again, this show is a celebration. And once we're here talking about anybody at all, it's a complete celebration and love affair with what we're seeing and what we're getting, and. The Rock is still my favorite Michael Bay movie, but I honestly think this might be my second now. I, I, I really, really love it. And it, it feels throwbacky enough, but also new and fresh enough. And it's like things that we love from the past being brought back, but done in a very new and effective way. And he's always updating the technology. He's always keeping modern. But the, the way the camera is, is a character the, the the way the camera moves around and and keeps the intensity so well, it's it's unparalleled. I mean, I can't even imagine editing one of his movies. I mean, it's 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 crazy. Yeah, and it's Tony so Scott was powerful. kind of the
0: same way. And and obviously, you know, I don't want to just fold it into a conversation about about Tony Scott, but you know, I remember Tarantino talking about Unstoppable uh, specifically and about how Tony was a selector. He called him a selector mm. because he would shoot so much footage right so actually the art of it in, in many respects from so many different angles and so many different yeah, cameras so much coverage right right for these high octane action sequences and again the cameras
1: spinning around yeah all directions. and it
0: multi, you know from shooting from a helicopter shooting alongside a train you know all different angles yeah um, and actually, the, a lot of his artistry came in the in the post production from the selection of the the footage that right. he had assembled. It's like the Statue um, of David is in the marble, yes, but exactly. you have to
1: eliminate. All yeah, the...
0: yeah, very, very much so. So, no, it's an interesting point, and I think you're dead on about what you're saying. Where it's it's simultaneously a throwback movie, and yet in a weird sort of paradoxical way because it is a throwback movie it also feels incredibly contemporary if that makes sense because it's fresh in this landscape yeah you know and as you rightly point out it's also updated and uh with the drone technology specifically that i was learning about that that was really bleeding edge stuff um you know that some of these drone the drone shots and so it feels like it is a throwback movie and it feels in- incredibly current at the same time and of course it was shot during the pandemic and there's actually moments where which which sort of time stamps it and there's moments one in particular that really make a virtue of that in the scene where uh Jake and the gang are all going into the um uh, the bank and they stop at a uh a, an elevator and uh, a lady an old lady comes in Um, And she's wearing a mask. And they're all wearing kind of like masks, but sort of like bandana masks. Right. So she doesn't rumble the fact that they're actually bank robbers because this is in an era where people are wearing masks quite, yeah. or, or not necessarily surgical masks, but sort of those, um, you know, a, a mask that would just pull up over your, that would go around your neck and you would pull up. So it's, it's kind of quite a witty nod to the moment in which it was made, which of course is, was a tragic and awful uh, moment for, for all, all of us. But by doing the, those sort of things also sort of make it current and timely, um, you know, so it, it sort of achieves both things
1: concurrently. That's really well said, Phil, and I, I, I love that fact, and apparently Michael Bay was just chomping at the bit to make a movie, and he was, I mean, if he's anything like his movies, which he is, I'm sure he's just this kinetic, yeah. frenetic powerhouse of a guy, and I was watching The Making of Today on um, on the DVD, and it uh, it's all on YouTube, and he's just like you would... You know, like you'd imagine, he's just so visceral and so loud. And they're like, he doesn't even need a megaphone. Yeah, just, Yeah, I saw so that loud. bit. Yeah, yeah. He's like, all right, guys, this
0: is what we're going to do. You <laughs> <And know? laughs> and and like he's, the megaphone is like quieter than your yeah, natural he's like, voice. Yeah, he's like, the megaphone actually <laughs> makes you quieter.
1: <laughs> and I can't imagine, apparently he just wanted to make something and do something that he could do quickly. Yeah. Which this was. 38 days. But I, I just still, it just seems like such a big project. And the fact that he deemed it as something that was quick and something he could do right away.
0: In the world of Michael Bay, this movie that, as you say, sort of feels like anyone else, it would be like a $200 million movie. And for him, it's sort of almost like a low budget independent. Uh, yeah. Movie to just bash out quickly between. I like, just do whatever the
1: weekend. I'm bored. I, yeah. want, to, I want to play <laughs> exactly. with my toys. And, and
0: it's the best action film, uh, you know, of the century. Uh, it's so <laughs> you know, uh, arguably. Um, I mean, it's up there. You know, it, yeah. I mean, uh, there, there, I say that sort of flippantly. The ha- that this was the century in which Unstoppable was made, in which there were, especially in the early 2000s, there were a lot of in, um, really exceptional action films. And and one even that came out around that time, Top Gun: Maverick, which I think Amazing. would certainly be in the in the argument. So Tony it's not. Scott's it's not to name say,
1: being there was was, was a Indeed, another going or, going
0: back to Tony, um, but yeah. uh, you know it has. It, it's felt like a bit of a dearth action landscape, but there have, to be fair, there have been some of the great ones. But for me, it's just this. It's just a for me. It's just a film that I can't stop thinking about. I, I for for about three months I couldn't stop thinking about Top Gun Maverick, but that has since abated. Um, that's not a slight on that movie. I think it, I think that is a masterpiece, legitimately. But this film, for some reason, maybe because it feels so esoteric and personal to me yeah. uh, and my fascinations and obsessions, I can't shake it. I, yeah. And I listen to the soundtrack so on the daily. Yeah, <laughs> it's so just Phil, it's just me, you yeah. know. And so uh,
1: yeah. I know I just think of you when I watch it, and yeah. I just I knew we were prepping for today. Well, I remember saying, you know, what's something recently that's just been rocking you and you you, without even blinking, you know, ambulance. And yeah. And I love that. It's, it's a brother story. And there's so many sub themes of these kind of duos of people. And then we get so much that's Mm. off the camera. So we get so much that's off the page. Uh, We get the father figure that kind of looms over Mm. their, their father, obviously they're uh, one of them's adopted, but they're, they're brothers through and through, but they had this crime Lord father who was this, Reign of Terror in the 90s. So, again, the 90s keeps coming back. Mm. So it's it's almost like they're echoing their father from the 90s. And you get the theme of moments in time that are big decisions. Moments in time where yeah. the timeline could shift one way or the other. You so know,
0: sliding doors moments, as they're sometimes doors. referred to. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of it will put you on one path or not. You know, does right. does he the de- sort of decision points, right? Like, does mm-hmm. Will um, decide to go ahead with this with this heist in this moment? If he walked away from that, you know, his life would be very, very different. It's, right. it's almost like there's constant decision points made throughout yeah. uh, this movie. Yeah, that's really
1: interesting. And there's even a moment where Jake is talking to the cop who, you know, on that moment decides to ask yeah. the teller out and come back to the bank, which if, you know, that didn't happen, then... Those guys get the get the thirty two million and walk in the movies. Yeah, he's given an, an out long. as
0: well, and and you know yeah. he's kind of saying to him like, uh, oh, just come back in twenty minutes, and he just won't get the hint. <laughs> and yeah, yeah, exactly. He's like really determined to go for it with this girl.
1: Yeah, uh, which is kind of inappropriate because of the rock speech from um, his partner.
0: <laughs> although he, it was interesting, you know, that rock speech. Just touch on that real br- briefly and return to your point, but. In a weird way, that is a reference to Michael Bay at maybe exploring his own perceived cultural obsolescence with a certain generation, right? Because wow. they're like, uh, he goes, oh yeah, The Rock. Um, like uh, He was a wrestler first. Like, he doesn't even understand that he's talking about the movie The Rock, not Dwayne Johnson. Yeah. Because he's making a comment on the fact that these kids nowadays don't even know. Don't even know The Rock. The movie. The, the, the movie The Rock. Not The, the Rock. So I actually yeah. think he's being quite playful I love uh, that. With, with, that, with that idea. But it's really interesting what you're saying. It is a film about sort of, because it all takes place in one day. And it's kind right. of like the, Dog day the choices that we make in yeah. any given moment right. that might seem inconsequential put us on a certain path. They create ripples. and Butterfly effects. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, the fact that he's determined to go and ask this girl out and has sort of worked up the courage to do it and then he can't, he knows if he backs down now he won't do it. We talk about the, the character Officer Zack. Officer uh, Zack, yeah. Uh, who ends up becoming embroiled in the robbery and gets shot and then he's in the oh, ambulance Poor for most guy. of the film. Yeah. The um, spleen, the spleen stuff. Oh, oh my goodness. <laughs> that stuff, is not it's not for me. I have gnarly. to say that's the one bit where I'm, I'm sort of covering You're my like, eyes. Ah, I can't look. I'm not great with this, with the surgery stuff. It's me neither. Place. And I'm a,
1: I'm a big horror buff, and you know, I, I love some, some viscera. But yeah, even that's like you know, using a hair tie to, to, clamp, to clamp, a screen. I <laughs> no, mean, no. that is, that's, yeah. that's some Hellraiser, like Hellraiser, because has yeah, got nothing yeah. on that.
0: Yeah, <laughs> it, there is a, there's definitely like a long sequence of kind of body horror in the, in the middle of this. So. But yeah, that's such a fascinating reading and the duo thing as well, like there's the two paramedics, um, you know, they start as a, as a partnership, there's the two
1: cops, um, Officer Zach and. So yeah, the two paramedics, we got Scott played by Colin Waddell and, and Cam, who is one of our leads played by uh, Isa Gonzalez. And even Isa later says that she could have gone to med school had she not gotten addicted to speed, if I recall, which might be a speed reference. The, you know what's really the interesting <laughs> about that?
0: If I can just jump in on yeah, that on that ahead. point.
1: So I've been
0: listening to another excellent podcast called 50 Miles Per Hour, uh, which is all about it is a massive deep dive, 50 episode dive on the making of speed. And then its entire production oh, really? history oh, from awesome. the first, uh, you know, the, the, the first letter on the script to the completed a film And one of the things that's really interesting about it was is that the character that Sandra Bullock plays, who's called Annie, in the final film, was originally called Darlene, which, coincidentally, is my wife's name, uh, yeah. and uh, who also loves Speed, by the way. Shout it's out. Like her favorite movie. She's Shout awesome. out to Darlene. Yes. Um, oh, she loves Speed? Cool. <laughs> she That's her favorite movie. So that was a funny thing. That oh, came no out. one of you married her. But the <laughs> but the, uh, the point is that character that Sandra Bullock was originally playing was an, a former ambulance driver who had a, had a, was addicted to amphetamines. Oh, and that's why she could drive the bus and was kind of, no, no pun intended, a speed freak, right? She wow. was actually an expert ambulance driver who had a speed addiction, uh, literally and figuratively. So Diet wow. Speed's DNA so uh, cool. has made its way into ambulance with that, with that character's ah. backstory, Yeah. Uh, And it's also another strong female who's, you
1: know, right in the right in the action. Yes. Getting getting right in there, getting bloody, hanging, you know, hanging with with everybody else. And, yeah, super strong, awesome lady. Obviously not driving here, but yeah, that's so cool. And, you know, it's funny when I hear speed, I'm like, that also seems kind of retro. Like, I don't hear speed, the drug. Right. Sure. Yeah. It's like a Coke or meth or or whatever. Like, use it's like blow or Coke or, you know. But like speed, I'm like I, mean, I don't mean. But it really makes
0: know. sense because you know for that purpose because it's what a lot of students would use for cramming for oh, when you've got huge information, right? Because right, yeah. she says it was at med school, right? Right. So it does it tracks with not something that she was into well to get test. high uh, necessarily because it was like a, okay. a requirement for the amount of. Um, you know, uh, cramming that you would need to do for tests uh, yeah, in med school. Cramming, yeah, cramming. So uh, because it was it's it was so overwhelming. So I thought that was actually oh, quite nuanced. Okay. That was my reading. No, of it I, anyway. yeah, that's great. I didn't. And I didn't I, pick that that, up. that made a lot of sense, right? I think it was more it it, it was more of a necessity because she wanted to be really really good at her job. Right. Um and and a good student. And
1: yeah, she it, definitely seems like you know, the competitive type. And
0: yeah, she's sort of an alpha. Yeah, very strong. Um, and, you know. Uh, headstrong, aggressive—you know, very, very competent. Uh, so, it, it, I, I think it's quite well done. Her backstory, you know, that's another thing to do—a backstory for all of these different characters, like you're saying. You know, we get the whole the absent father whose figure looms large in the story. We never meet him. We never, we never see a flashback of him. Movie.
1: Yeah, never. Right? Um, you see a flashback. You of, see flashbacks of them. of them as kids, but you right. never see the, the
0: father, which is in a weird way more, more sort of effective uh, because you're allowed to conjure your own reading of this sort of like paternal monster that is implied to exist in their lives. He would
1: have killed those tellers and and had a snack.
0: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, he Um, was like
1: always referred to as this, like you said, monster. Yeah, he's...
0: So yeah, your reading of that is very interesting. And of course, there's constant decisions that she makes throughout, you know, whether to try and escape. At one point, she uh, blows the fire extinguisher on on them, tries to make an escape. This is Kashmir!
1: Yeah. <laughs> that was like one of my favorite lines so good oh
0: this movie fucking rules guys like if Dude, you haven't so seen it funny. before we get like you know go and it's i think it's on amazon prime video for free right now like you know if you have that you have no excuse it's so
1: good guys you have
0: to watch this movie and tell everybody you know and then go and buy the 4k that you know and it's just so awesome we need more movies like this i went to see this movie twice and you know something I, I wish I
1: had in the theater. On I I, I had to
0: see it again because I, I it was like on it. I needed to experience it again on the big screen with yes. the sound and fury. Oh and, my god! You know I, I, I needed to experience it the again. Machine gun fire, you know. and the helicopters. Yeah, and just, just so awesome. to be immersed in in this movie. And I think you know going to the not to get too preachy, but going to the movies nowadays, it's kind of like voting you know Mm. because this movie like didn't do the numbers that people were hoping and i think it's okay because it didn't cost that much it i mean it's still it's still a significant amount of money um but you know if you want to support these kind of films and you want more of them that's how hollywood works it's a that's the only
1: metric that matters exactly they're just completely reactive to
0: numbers you know and i have many personal examples of my experiences in hollywood that speak to that based on A previous, I mean, I'll just tell you, like, I I had a project at a a large studio uh, that had a a robot and was intrinsic to uh, the story of this this particular project. Chappie comes out that weekend. Uh, Numbers are, even though it was actually, I think, was profitable, ultimately, the numbers aren't what they hoped it would be and the earth was scorched for any robot movie for the foreseeable future right mm. that that's just how hollywood were over and it's like well, this is film isn't even going to come out for you know, a year or two, and it's completely different. And there's so many other things about it, but that's how Hollywood kind of works. Right. They're very reactive, they're very risk-averse, and ultimately, it's all about kind of the bottom line. So, you know, when these movies come out, and if it's something you're you're passionate about, it, it's it's because I feel like the streamers are they're missing a trick because it's like they're putting it out on streaming immediately, so there isn't that um there's less of a, of a, of impetus to go and go and pay money and go and see it at, at the theatres um, so that to me that is like uh, that should be changed there should be a longer league time between the two to make it more of, a, of an event but they're encouraging people's sort of you know our, our, our natural laziness to just be like well it'll be on, it'll be on the telly in, you know, in a, a few weeks why would I go yeah. and see it but it really does matter because you can have a say in the content that is that is. I hate to use the word content on the cinema um, which is what we should aspire to on the cinema that is coming out uh, based on whether or not you go and see these movies that is, that is how the system works right or wrong so you know alright I'll get off my soapbox now and no I get love it Phil the, and,
1: yeah I'm, I'm bummed into I, my comfy seat I don't know how I slept on this movie and I don't even think I I don't know anyway yeah I'm guilty of not seeing this one in the theatre although I did see it on streaming and, um, and, and then I've since seen it again and uh, I'll probably get the 4K steelbook because, uh, yeah, it's amazing. I want to see all those bonus features. But, yeah, I, I, I'm right there with you. Yeah, like it's sad that it didn't. I wish we could say, oh, it was a big old hit right now. But um, I like to think that it's going to find its legs. And, again, we need to see movies in this budget category. Yes. Like $40, 50000000 million movies where the script is really tight. The characters are there. And it still rips. It's not like it's two guys in a room talking the whole time. Uh, although Oppenheimer, which is doing amazing right now, it's done over 700 million worldwide, is mostly guys in rooms talking. And I love that. It's, it's a great movie, and I loved it. I know you like it as well. And um, I'm so happy that it's doing well because it's like it was a $100 million movie, which, sure, it's not a, you know, it's not a penny. But it's, it's, we're seeing these kind of $250, 300000000 million bombs right now well, and it's yeah, like, I can something I can movies. speak
0: to again from personal experience. And look, we like Andy Muschietti, and we we met him on the night that you and I met. The night I met So we you, like I literally not only just like his films, but we like him personally. And it's no slight on him whatsoever. I think he's a great he's awesome great guy, uh, a fabulous filmmaker, and someone who's uh, again I would always want to support his his work. I, I we think were at he's the great. underwater premiere, right?
1: Uh, and on. Andy
0: was doing the Q and A, so we ended yeah. up having a chat with him about Stephen King and various other things. And he was an incredibly gracious and lovely, lovely guy. Seriously. Um, yeah. But my point was, uh, I went to see The Flash, which you know cost what seemingly three hundred million, three hundred something, on a Friday afternoon, and this theatre was basically empty. And I went to see Oppenheimer on a Monday afternoon and it was packed. You couldn't get a seat. And this was both in Burbank, in L.A., in a movie town filled with cinephiles. And it was kind of an interesting, you know, example of like you have to ignore the audience at your peril. You know, the audiences are telling Hollywood we're kind of tired of three hundred million dollar movies or two hundred million dollar bloated movies with a very confused mythology, like Black Adam, which also, which I think was also was fine. And I don't d- dislike The Flash either. I'm not necessarily knocking it. I don't think that, in a vacuum, I don't think that's a bad movie. I think that's a good superhero movie. Yeah. But it's part of a long and now you know, t- frankly, exhausting
1: yeah.
0: uh, series. Uh, and trend that has reached its end, Critical right? Mess, I think yeah. it's just, it just audiences have said, hey, actually, we're kind of tired of it, or we're at least done. give us a break. But Hollywood actually is not, doesn't seem to be getting that message necessarily. I know. Uh, because I think they are two... Um, you know invested in it they're too kind of locked in to long term this works for so long you know got, yeah. here's what we'll be doing Q4 2027 right instead yeah. of and actually which I saw as I'm suppose i sort of contradicting what I what I said earlier I think there's times where with these mid-budget films you know like which which Chappie kind of was they were maybe a little bit more uh, reactive but for the big tent poles that the that the Hollywood studios kind of rely on to some extent for their for their kind of uh, big picture strategy uh they're less nimble you know and they're less uh they're just locked into it and it you know and it's it's almost like that too big to fail type mentality that the big banks have about things where you just keep investing and keep investing yeah. and it's like it's it's a black hole you know and i think um you know the the success of oppenheimer yeah. Uh, and Barbie, of course.
1: Yeah, know. Barbie, which was only which about 125, which, I think. Maybe. He's maybe so
0: significant little. for many, many reasons. You know, female-driven yeah. film filmmaker Absolutely. speaks very much to a female audience, not exclusively, um, but, you know. Uh, I saw the, it twice. The, the big thing, in my opinion, and I, I went on a rant about this in one of our episodes that we ended up cutting out because I got a little too hot under the collar. Um, <laughs> but it's I love it. it's all about, in my opinion, it's backing Filmmakers with a vision, Ugh. right? It's not about IP, algorithms, data, any of this bullshit, right? The success of Barbie and Oppenheimer concurrently as well is about backing filmmakers with a vision of cinema mm. right so that to me is like that's the the light that we should be following in all this like that to me is like a very clear north star in this very confused uh, landscape that we we're in right now in, in the belly of the beast in here in, in Hollywood and, so, anyway, anyway, anyway I'm getting a bit
1: uh, <laughs> no I, I love it I love I'm it i a little I should chill out no no apologies <laughs> I, I, no don't stop I'm I love it you're getting me all all worked up too It's great I, I love it I think it's great and I I love that Barbenheimer is doing so well. And again, it was like, you know, counter programming where it's two completely different flavors of ice cream. Yep. And they are working together in tandem so perfectly. And most people are going to see both. Yep. And it's it's so great and I hope now that Hollywood will be doing exactly what you said, which would be listening to the numbers and the metrics from that and say, "My god, and let's bring the budgets down a little bit." Not that, not you know, not that we can't have big budgets, but it's just like Let's focus But not
0: 300 million. 300 million dollars.
1: So you know, need a $200 million opening weekend to like feel yeah, good about it.
0: You know? you know, that that's just like it's, too much. it's reckless and it's irresponsible it and is. you know it's just too Indiana Jones was the same way They some one of that. I think yeah. that was like 300 million once you included all the P&A or, or you know all yeah, of that all of right. that stuff, so right? Yeah, so, bomb. you yeah. know, CGI laden, Uncanny Valley, you know, IP driven, but like a little bit out of step, I think, with the culture. None of that is a slight to, you know, Harrison Ford, who I love, and and even James Mangold, who I think is also a terrific filmmaker. You know, um, no slight on any of those, but like sometimes I think the 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 thinking is wrong headed, right? Which brings us back to you could make like 10. Of movies like *Ambulance*, right? You're spreading your risk. Um, the audience gets something different, and it doesn't like decimate the studio if it doesn't do the numbers you want on opening weekend, right? Yeah. It's just—it's like it's common sense. I get that we need, you know, some some poles And *Oppenheimer* and *Barbie* weren't necessarily cheap, but they're not three hundred million, no. you know, gigantic, colossal disasters if they don't like bring if they don't connect you yeah. know um so i would love to see a return to you know more movies like this that are Absolutely. sort of in a you know it sound, 40 million might sound like a you know might be sound silly because it's still a lot of money but they're more fiscally in the landscape of hollywood it's fiscally far more responsible filmmaking and you give um you giving people a chance tra- the other thing i like about michael bay is actually he fills these films with a lot of unknowns or yes. uh, lesser known actors. He gives people a shot. Right. You know, of course, this film, the main star is, um, is, is Jake Gyllenhaal. You know, but the other two, uh, the other two leads in the film who were both rising stars, um, they're not necessarily household names. And then there's other people that have major roles. I'm thinking of uh, the, uh, the actress who plays the character of Zaga, uh, who I want to talk about how the cops are portrayed in this film, oh, by yes, the way. absolutely. Um, let me just pull up her name. Uh, Olivia Stambulia, I, I hope I'm pronouncing so that correctly, funny. who plays this character, Zaga, who's a surveillance officer in the roving... LAPD uh, van, who's actually an Australian. Yeah, I was
1: watching the making of it. Her her accent accent. is
0: impeccable. I know. I was
1: like, she's American. She's
0: a fantastic actress. Like, just such such attitude. Such a street smart. Yeah, just a great great character. Great character. Michael Bay does that. He gives people a shot. You know, it not just uh, the sort of old boys network of you know people you've seen before. He puts fresh faces in there. He gives people a shot. So that's something I I, I like uh, a lot about this movie. Is as well, and, and him in general, you know, um, Thirteen Hours were, you know, Krasinski has since become a uh, post Quiet Place, he's kind of become, you know, a pretty bankable star. But at the time, Krasinski was not uh, an action lead at all. I no. think he bulked up for that movie. He was really known primarily for The Office. The Office, yeah. And then James Badge Dale, who was sort of, uh, you know, a a character actor of some note that a lot people in the know had liked, but was certainly not uh, a star. You know, they were the two leads in that. In that movie. And then, like, Toby Stevens, who was revelatory as like, a Navy SEAL in, the, in that movie. So, so yeah. I think he, you know, he's. There's a lot more to Michael Bay than meets the eye, no pun intended for the guy that made Transformers. <laughs> <laughs> That's
1: great. Robots in this guy, directors in this Maybe disguise. Michael
0: Bay's actually uh, That's really a Transformer. Cool. That's really You know, cool. I who knows? It would, it would kind of track in a weird way.
1: Well, and it was cool to see Jake in this villain. I mean I, I actually really want to get into in a second you know who to root for or whatnot, and it, the the gray area they're in, which I think is one of the many things about this movie that I love and uh but you know he's he's a robber uh he comes from a, a his father's a robber, a legendary one, and he's carrying the torch for the family uh and it was just really cool to see him you know we've seen him in Nightcrawler where he was completely just this uh horrible guy phenomenal
0: performance phenomenal, phenomenal performance. movie and, and an la yeah. story as well yeah
1: yeah you know where we're running around in the grimy streets of la at night in that one and you know more talking about the media um but here he's just he's wayward he's ethically wayward um but he's loyal to his brother he's loyal to his family name and i just feel like it was such a good role for jake who's done a lot of the good guy goody two-shoes and he can do it all. I think he's a fantastic actor. I, I, think I agree. Underrated. And
0: I'm generally not these days. I've 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 started to get a little sickened by the fawning over celebrities and and mm. star actors that I see a lot through the Hollywood press and just the general kind of cultural conversation around movie stars actually find it quite, um, nauseating, frankly, that it, I just feel it's got to this, the, the, gods of Hollywood decide if they like you or if they don't. And if they do like you, you get endless good press. And if you don't, you get endless bad press. And it's just endlessly fawned over. However, um, Jake Gyllenhaal is the man. And, yeah. uh, and I, I, I I respect him so much for his career choices that he's made. Yes. You know, he's like uh, the guilty, uh, which is like a fascinating companion piece to this movie. I think he's like an LAPD dispatcher and it's pretty much um, a one-hander almost. It's him on the phone um, dealing with a 911 uh, situation and also, it's also a remake of a Scandinavian movie, which this, this which ambulances too. So it it's oh, yeah. actually has quite a lot of similarities. And again, just like, there's no place to hide there's no CGI there's no bullshit it, it is it's a real no actor's piece Valley. you know and yeah you think about the performances that he's done in films like Nightcrawler Night and Prisoners Prisoners um, my god you know he's been doing exceptional work for you know two decades so long um, and yeah. Source Code and other like that's oh, kind of a die hard on a blank movie that we'll do love eventually that one. you know he's, he's he is consistent one of the most consistently exceptional uh, leading men in Hollywood, who I think really has expertly walked that tightrope between um, independent, offbeat, low-budget, interesting, unusual movies and uh, the mainstream. Uh, I, I think his performance in this is absolutely like just electrifying. It's so um, good, and the the fact that he is kind of morally ambiguous, yet you always kind of like him because he is so you? he's so likable as a, as he a performer. Is. He um, is, but this character, this character, he's just, he's just like, fucking cool. <laughs> he's cool. He's cool
1: and he's funny. <laughs> you know, he's self-deprecating. He's self-deprecating he's and badass, the way he sticks loyal. up for his brother yeah, and the loyalness. Like, and and it's just a complex. This role. movie walks the tension, humor line so well. You know, like you're, obviously you're always on the edge of your seat. The camera work is frenetic and amazing. Michael Bay and it's so well shot and so well put together. But then there's just these like laugh out loud moments, and they're kind of sandwiched in between these like brutally intense moments. And it, the movie's ability to kind of fulcrum back and forth is just like unbelievable. And you know, it's it's like this roller coaster ride. It let off a little tension, and then put it back on. Put the gas back on.
0: And yet the tone is totally consistent. Even oh, though, absolutely. Even though it veers between yeah, sort of absurdist comedic moments and as you said, sort of body horror in certain points and then, mm. you know, kinetic action and intensity and, and sometimes real kind of uh, like quiet tragedy that underpins what's going on. And yeah. in fact, the root cause of why uh, the Will character is even yeah, doing yeah. the operation, uh, he's yeah. even doing the mission, doing he's the doing job. the heist for his wife's operation. Right. All of these tones He only needs 231
1: work. grand, but he ends up getting, well, could have gotten a lot more, but yeah, no, it, it does. And it, it really does work. And there is a realness to it, even though there's this just knuckle-gripping action throughout it. And you're on the edge of your seat. But there's just like, man, I really – I want everyone to win in this movie. Yeah, yeah. Does that yeah. make any sense?
0: Well, even – and that's what, one of the things I wanted to talk about was even the cops, yeah. right? I really wanted to talk a little bit about the character of
1: uh, Captain Monroe. Played, played by, by Garrett, Garrett Delahunt, who uh, our friend Ryan Grasmeier actually just saw picketing at the uh, oh yeah <laughs> at, uh, Paramount last week. Anyway, yeah, he's uh, apparently their buddies, so that's cool.
0: I think this is one of the most interesting, original, and authentic law enforcement characters I've seen in action cinema in a long time. And if you look at what he does, uh, it's it's kind of like a bit of a a lesson in in leadership, actually like when he first arrives so this he's playing this character he's only all in his usc trojans like uh, yeah. gear he's like a proper la guy yeah right he's very convi- if that almost feels like that was based on some uh, some real thing that he observed if the whole character does actually mm-hmm. um but when he first arrives the the um the, the guy who's the partner of uh zach uh i'm still trying to pull up his his name i need to just get this so i, I oh yeah uh is it Mark? Um, LAPD officer Mark? Officer yeah, Mar played, right. yeah. played by Cedric Sanders. Sanders. Yeah. So um, he is really hot. You know, he's hot because he's he's pissed about what's happened, and the SIS uh, guys are are kind of needling. That's him. my partner. Um, and and it gets really like gets really aggressive between them. And, right. And Captain Monroe turns up, and first of all, he takes accountability. Right, as he says. Uh, look, if you want to blame someone for that, blame me. He de-escalates the situation, but he says, I'm the one who made that call. You blame, if, if you want to blame someone, you can blame me. So he takes accountability and responsibility. He, then then the, he says to him, look, I'm going to get your partner back. And, he, and then the guy, uh, he, Mark says, uh, do you know that for sure? And he says, no, but I've got my best people on it. He doesn't bullshit him. He, he tells him. He puts a positive spin, but he tells him the truth, mm-hmm. right? He's very clear. And then in the later scenes, were yeah. were like uh, when you meet the Zaga character who who turns up with all of this sass. Uh, he the first thing she says, he says, "Well, wow." He's like kind of taken aback because he's like, "Yo, oh, you're young," and she looks him up and down and says, "You're old." Like, try to keep up. And he goes, <laughs> yeah. "I like her. He he he's sort of egoless. And then when the FBI agent Clark, um, played by Kiro O'Donnell, who I used to play tennis with by the get way, get out of here. <laughs> it's just another story. No way. Um, who's a really really nice guy. Um, I, I'm not. I don't want to overstate our friendship, I, but I did play doubles tennis with I him mean, for for a little bit. That's so cool. And uh, he's a he's a lovely guy and a terrific actor and a great 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 uh, part uh, in this. When he turns up and he and they kind of. They clash a little bit because he, he he's not from LA, so he feels he's kind of like a tourist. But when Clark says to him like that's a mistake, he go he actually goes why, um, and then he proceeds to allow Clark to tell him about his backstory with Danny. And it changes his calculus. So throughout mm-hmm. the film, what I found basically, it's an antidote to the typical sort of cockswinging cop characters that are all like, "This is my jurisdiction, you yeah, know, yeah. and I know what I'm doing." And he's able to display tremendous confidence, but balance it with uh, humility. You know, there's just to tell a brief. It's anecdote, a good leader. Good leadership. Exactly. And the, one of the reasons I always think about this moment. There was one time. You know, I, I did this. Speaking of helicopters, right, and which are an integral part of this movie, and we talked about my love for helicopters and on, uh, on the Blue Thunder. Blue episode. Thunder
1: and British Lightning.
0: But just to tell a little story for a second, there was one day um that was one of the greatest days of my life. One of them, of course, was my wedding, and the other was the day my son was born. But this was right, right, right up there. I went on a uh, um, on a Black Hawk helicopter that was picked up from Santa Monica Airport and taken to an army base in Barstow, which is like between LA and Las Vegas, as part of a fleet of Blackhawks, as part of a initiative that was uh, through the agency that represented me, that was basically intersecting Hollywood with uh, military personnel, and educating uh, us about like uh, what the day-to-day life is. And there's a training facility in Barstow where they basically um, have like simulated environments for uh, Iraq or Afghanistan, and they can run simulations and drills. And we would participate in, the, in these in these things and basically got to experience, uh, I, admittedly as tourists, uh, a day in the life of, of the soldiers on this base. And at the mess uh, that day, I sat down with two guys, one of whom was a private and one of whom was a colonel, one of whom was very, very high up. Uh, And I asked them, like, in your opinion, uh, what makes a good leader? And they both had the same answer, and it was someone who listens. Mm. I th- and it was not the answer I expected. You might think it was like someone who is like very um you know decisive or someone that was that never quits or or some kind of like a, a macho kind of right. answer that was a bit more out you know alpha dog kind of kind of answer but actually in both of them one guy at the top one guy at the bottom said it was all about listening to the people uh kind of below you um and that that has always stayed with me and that was one of the things that uh, so I've always tried to think about that basically not it, you know and a film director is an interesting one like that right because you kind of have to be someone, I was just going to say like Michael the, the Bay even tutorial right yeah, like even you have to be he very listens. headstrong yeah. but you also have to listen and in fact on that documentary he he doesn't design those stunt sequences he listens to the right. stunt guys and they tell him and they tell him like this is how we should do it because this is what's doable what's safe but will also be spectacular Right. but my point was just not just like, like we're going to do this and no matter what yeah exactly you know, like it's actually wolves. not necessarily what you would expect and you actually command more respect from your tr- troops you know literally or figuratively by listening uh to them so I, that's always stayed with me and i thought that's one of the things that made this that. character uh, who's an sis which is a very specialist subdivision of the lapd robbery homicide unit um that has a very kind of storied and actually quite controversial history um in in los angeles but it is is a very specialized unit to me, this felt like he's based this on someone specific because he, he's so calm under pressure, uh, and he is just the the opposite of that ar- the usual arrogant, um, high level cop uh, character. He's like very intelligent, listens to people, but also is like confident in his own abilities. And I love the scenes where he talks about like. Basically, um, what I do is it's a cross between a cage fight and a chess match, and he kind of laying knows, the trap yeah, and baiting the, the trap. Tra- I just found, yeah. I found the psychology of all of that and his portrayal of it so riveting and uh, convincing. And the film isn't necessarily like ultra naturalistic realism, right? It's pretty, it's pretty heightened. It's, it's a fairly, you know, there's some bits of it. Particularly, I think when you get into the whole. Cartel type stuff with the giant minigun. It get it gets a little bit. It, that's that's not necessarily like a grounded crime thriller. It's going into the, the the more outlandish territory. But this character, who is this sort of antagonist of the piece, but but not the villain of the piece. You know, you actually, I think, in my opinion, you kind of like him, and in some ways, you almost root for him. It's a little bit like a movie we did on thy hold on a blank, the the fugitive, in okay. that you're rooting for Richard Kimball but you love watching Tommy Lee Tommy Lee Jones as Sam Girard as this formidable I- immovable object yeah. you know uh, or irresistible force whichever way you want to you know where you want to kind of uh, divide it but the he's an antagonist but he's not a villain and he's so compelling to watch and he's quite similar in that regard in that he's um he you know he listens he's a very good leader um and he's very very good at his job which is also a sort of michael mannian uh you know facet that that comes up a lot that we talk about about seeing people be really really good at their jobs uh, and getting into the minutiae of it uh, this film kind of has some of
1: that it's funny you say michael mann when i first saw this movie i thought heat immediately and they then pitched now it's
0: heat the uh heat meets speed heat meets speed yeah. yeah
1: i was gonna say it's somewhere between those two movies yeah. not not in a you know a derivative way or a copy way i I just found myself and it, i think it probes into kind of two sides of the same coin because on one hand I'm like, do you have to apply all this deadly force for some money that's insured, you know? And I'm like, I almost want to see these guys get away with it, you know. Um, then again, robbing is bad, and, and you know it's it's crime, um, and still you have to up to uphold the law, and the cops are just doing their job, and it's like you can't ask them not to just do their job, and are just going kind of like, all right, I'm gonna let this one slide, you know. Um, but there's an element of like they have all, have all this deadly force that they apply. And there's a lot of collateral damage. And I mean, how many cars get blown up? I mean, it's probably not thirty two million dollars, but it's you know, it's a chunk of change. You're jeopardizing some lives where it's almost like maybe let them get away and then try to find them later and not jeopardize. So I don't know. I think the heat and this movie do a really good dance of like showing both sides. But obviously robbers shouldn't be robbing. But maybe there's an element of too much deadly force being applied. And I, I, yeah. I, don't, I don't think it's taking a side either way. I think it's just showing the force. It's spectrum. almost like it, it becomes
0: bigger than the individuals, it almost becomes mm. the system uh, dropping down like an anvil. On the on these people, and th- again, this is something right. we often talk about with Die Hard specifically, and we talked about this a little bit with Blue Thunder, which also deals with yeah, some of these ideas about about police ethics, right? And where mm-hmm. where do you draw the line with state power? And there is a point in right. this film where they try and, of privacy. And, um, and... yeah, in that film it's about that and and the power of the state over the citizen through the use of the police as a tool, as a fist of the uh, you know of state power apparatus. In in this in this film, it, there is a point where it does start to get, I think, quite dark and sinister with it with that with that sort of uh, the net closing in on them, and, uh, and it becomes deadly where they're going to set up the sniper trap. Right, but um, they it's because they think that the cop is dead, so they're acting. They're like these guys are cop killers, and you know, so yes. it's sort of in, inform. I'm not saying that's right or wrong. But it's informing their uh, decision making. But yeah, it it does kind of. It doesn't really shy away in some respects from like these police chases are quite um, reckless. And actually, the more there is an argument to say the more responsible thing to do is just let them get away. Yeah, you know. I found myself thinking that. I mean, obviously, um, I love a good chase scene. But there is also that uh, (laughs) you know this sort of we can't lose, and in fact, they even mentality of uh, you know where it is a sort of a bit of a. Um, you know it's a competition to some extent and mm. he does say there's a point you know that great line where Jake Gyllenhaal says you know they're they're arguing on the through the radio which again is very diehard with the you know the are talking over the sound waves right. and saying uh, like we're an ambulance we don't stop and then Garrett Dillahun's character like just absorbs that and then goes to himself neither do we yeah. he puts no emotion on it though it's just like this is a this is this a reality yeah. we won't be- and from their point of view, it's kind of, like, well, if we don't sort of uh, drop the hammer, what's to stop everyone, everyone from robbing just... banks and, and pulling guns? And we are the right. police, ultimately, right? We Whether it's right or wrong and our methodology is questionable or not. Yeah. We you know, uphold we the represent law and safety law and, and order. Law, law and order. Right. So it, it is, it's actually, I think, in a weird way you know, you wouldn't necessarily use this word a lot to describe Michael Bay's movie, but it's actually quite nuanced in its portrayal of, like, some of the moral complexities of of a scenario like this for both sides, you know? The the cops aren't totally, like, black or white, and neither are the criminals, Yeah, you know? And there's a bunch of other people that are are kind of in the middle, and I think it's quite... That's another thing about it that I think makes it feel quite authentic. And as a kind of... um, the other thing I think is worth just touching on uh, is its portrayal of the kind of milieu of Los Angeles, which is, very, you know, the car chase capital of, of the world. Man, drivers in L.A. Yeah. are so bad.
1: <laughs> I love that they keep yeah, saying that. Yeah. It's, it's the a, it,
0: This is an unequivocal L.A. movie. I mean, it even has it literally in the title, right? M-U-L-A, yeah. I know, Uh, I love I'm so glad you brought that up. It's so integral. And apparently they were talking
1: about doing it somewhere else for money-saving matters, but Michael Bay said, no, this is L.A., and yes, it's going to be more money, but it's going to be totally worth it. And yeah, I mean, you get the L.A. River, and you get these, just this, there's the main highways, but we're mostly not in them, and they're just trying to navigate their way through the the labyrinthian nightmare that is L.A. And, uh, you know, they've got their maps out and everything, and then the high-tech stuff, too, to figure their way around. And um, I, at another city, I just don't think it would nearly have the same impact.
0: I don't think so. I mean, you know, there's a sort of case study with another Heat-esque movie, Den of Thieves, uh, which is an excellent... Oh, I haven't seen that uh, one. ...excellent Cops and Robbers heist movie with cool. Gerard Butler uh, and Pablo Schreiber. Um, really, really terrific movie. I urge everybody to watch it. But um, they did have to shoot some of it in Atlanta mm. um, and I would say the film like you, unless you're a hardcore like you really know LA you you, pr- you probably notice. wouldn't necessarily notice it but um, when you do know that you and you look at some of the sequences especially because there's a long kind of sequence on a the freeway there you kind of go, oh yeah, that that actually doesn't look like Los Angeles at all, right. um, and that's not a slight on that movie because I think it's a f- fantastic movie. Okay, one of the one of the best recent kind of, kind of crime action thrillers. It's it's really excellent, and Gerard Butler's never been better. It's, it's oh, he's the amazing. best thing he's he, I've seen him doing in a long time. He's he's really superb in that. Cool, but uh, it does suffer a little bit by the fact that it is largely not shot in the area that it's portraying. And again, that that's it's portraying kind of the Southlands which is like the bank robbery kind of capital of of the world so it is again very culturally specific about a specific type of crime but because it some of it was shot in atlanta it doesn't have the same feel that this movie does and there's just certain things you can't really fake you know and the la river being one of them and the general just aesthetic vibe and feel of of this city lends itself which is connected by these labyrinthine freeways you know where much of this movie takes place but then also different neighborhoods and then the bit downtown at the beginning where the robbery takes place and where they go to that that market uh to have their uh lunch the two paramedics after their after that that incident which is a real place it's a
1: little girl being Um, impaled
0: so yeah the fact that this is an la movie it's one it's you know another movie we talked about briefly before we started recording was to live and die in la you know yes uh, r.i.p
1: bill the great bill friedkin
0: um, yeah, obviously that's a whole other conversation, which I think you've had, you've just had on another show. So I don't want to. Uh, it's never uh, enough. Um, no, I mean, Friedkin is <laughs> he's is the man. one of my ultimate filmmaking heroes, and this definitely has some Fried, Friedkin uh, energy to it. Specifically, French Connection, and even more specifically the the LA River sequence in, in To Live and, to La- live and in Die in LA, which this this has this you know. So I've got to see both of those
1: movies in the theater in the last. six It's months. something
0: else, isn't it? I mean, it's that's that's arguably the. You know, in my opinion, that is the greatest car chase ever ever filmed. But uh, this this is right up there in the, oh, in the yeah. top five. You know? Oh, absolutely! And, and and it's no accident. That and also these exploring that gray are,
1: area between cops and cops and yeah, mothers, yeah, very know, much so. I mean, it goes ass. into
0: it way more, in way more detail in that movie. And that movie is based on a book by Gerald Petievich, who is a was a real Secret Service agent. So it has that had that air of, of authenticity to mm. it again. But it's no accident that these movies, Speed, To Live and Die in L.A. Ambulance. They are set in Los Angeles. There's something about this, the specific topography of the city, that lends itself uh, to these. To I mean, these this movie could be stories. called "To Live and Die in L.A." too, if it yeah. wanted to, <laughs> and it would still fit, yeah. you know. Absolutely. And uh, and also the that's the, the theme of it. Yeah. That is absolutely the theme of this movie. It's about living and dying in L.A.
1: Yeah, and also the partner, the partner duality, um, and. The duality of the two paramedics, the, the two brothers, um, yeah, it's, it's very like there's these kind of duos that are all smashed together in, in, in both pieces, and, uh, but particularly in this one. I think the most dynamic character for me, and I'm going to ask you as well, but is for me, uh, Will. And um, you know the, the parable about the scorpion and the fox, you know, the scorpion's going to sting the fox trying to get across the river. The frog. It's, oh, you know what? I think in Star Trek Voyager they changed it to a fox. But,
0: oh, okay. You know, okay. Well, anyways. yeah. The one I heard was um, <laughs> uh, frog. It's referenced in uh, in Drive. Another great oh, LA God. driving. Yeah, another LA driving. But, yeah, there. I tell you, it doesn't. Ha- yeah. Sorry, go ahead. I didn't mean to.
1: No, me. no, no. I love it. It's great. Uh, I love the Star Trek Voyager. Is my uh, <laughs> different cultural my, my archetype. Uh, uh, yeah. But, yeah, the <laughs> same point. Yeah.
0: Sorry, I didn't mean to throw you for. A, throw you no, off no, there, no. It's but, all good. I love that.
1: Um, uh, you know. I think Jake's just being Jake. Um, everyone's just kind of, like you said, everyone's just doing them. Right. Except for Will. I think Will was desperate. But he thought, okay, I can I can set my family straight, do one last job. I am a good driver. And, of course, he, he gets to Danny, Danny's doorstep on the exact day, literally, what, like minutes before they <laughs> mobilized to go out on the heist. Um, you can tell he's not feeling really good about it. Uh, but he's like, all right, I'm going to do it. But he's the first one to realize that, man, we're, I like, he literally says, we're not going to walk away into the sunset here. And the moment for yeah. me where the redemptive arc is really satisfied in this piece is when um, they get help from the gang. Poppy is the, I guess, friends with the father, right? I think his name's Poppy. Yeah. Or they call him that. Um, they're like, all right, we're going to give you $8 million to get out of this pickle because if we get caught, then you know, we can't keep the money anyway. So let's give him a piece of the money. Um, and then basically Poppy wants the paramedic and the cop to be, you know, Zach and, um, uh, and the paramedic to be handed over, probably to be killed. And, uh, Danny's like, let's walk away. We you know, right. we can take our cut. And let, and then he's even like, please, I'll give you all the money, but it's not about the money anymore. And Will says so eloquently, he's like, we, we can't walk away into the sunset here. Like. What's what's next? You know, what's your plan now? What's your plan now? We're surrounded by helicopters. We're we're fucked. Um, and this is the right thing to do. And now it's not even about the money anymore. It's about doing the right thing. And it's such a powerful moment. And then, of course, the two of them get like, one last hurrah kick ass moment where they do the you know shoot the guns and they wipe out the gang around them, which is kind of mean because they totally helped him get out of that pickle with the cops. But anyway, you know, with the other ambulance spray painted the nineteen ninety two green. <laughs> what is this, 1992? <laughs> another, another echo of like yeah, the yeah, 90s. Yeah. Yeah, you yeah. Know, um, yeah, the day glow green, yeah. Yeah, yeah exactly. Uh, but to me, that was such a powerful moment. And then, you know, how they honor Will at the end, you know, he's probably bleeding out. Maybe he'll survive. Probably not. But um, the paramedic gives a little bit of money to the wife, you know, a little bit of the stash. And then Zach says, oh, he saved me. Um, kind of honoring his legacy, so he gets to satisfy the money element with you know the wife and the kid, um, and then also gets his legacy is kind of more or less like he was doing it for the money for his family, and then he gets a little bit of reputation saved at the end and that to me is is the powerful arc of the movie for me, and yeah. that really landed man yeah and it 's so powerful
0: yeah it's a definitely it 's about navigating that moral complexity but doing it at 100 miles an hour <laughs> literally you know and that is what the movie is about and the other thing to your point you know and this is maybe the last sort of main thing I, that I wanted to mention but um you know uh you have a brother uh I don't have a brother I'm an only I'm actually an only child but in that there's a scene in which is, is basically the final shootout where they seem to be um where the two brothers uh Will and Will and Danny are seemingly in, in pulling in different moral directions right Danny right. is basically saying look this is the only way out of this but Will's saying yes but it will we would have to lose our souls right. if we if we walk away because we'd be sacrificing these two innocent people the paramedic and the cop giving them over to this sort of uh cartel or syndicate whatever they are right and he and papi wants vengeance because his son got killed as a result of this right yeah so he's 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 angry and he has, has his own reasons as well but basically it comes down to that moral conundrum and then and the papi character says uh well it's not like he's your 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 real brother right oh yeah and then, then and then, then, and then uh, ultimately when they they kind of mind meld as brothers do uh yeah. i would imagine uh, it, you know, they kind of are able to uh, get back on track with it, with sort of uh, non-verbally. Uh, well, I guess he's kind of encoding something. He's basically right. saying, like, uh, you know, sometimes I wish, like, we seem like we're going right instead of we're going left, and we should go left or whatever it is that he he kind of says to kind of tip the hat. Yeah. And then after he they, they turn the tables and they shoot at all the, you know, all these cartel guys, and then it ends with, like, Jake saying this incredible line with, like, what did you say? Like, he's, he's my pretend brother. He's my real brother. Yeah. You know, and to me that was like. And he caps him. That was so powerful and to me, i don't have a brother and yet to me that was like that is so moving and i I think any and and anybody that does have a an adopted uh you know familial situation would be like i think that would really really resonate you know and it, it resonates regardless but there's something about that that's sort of like it's not for you to determine my uh what i deem to be real yeah. You know, from your vantage point, I like I he is my that he is my brother. So I think that is actually the yeah. the kind of uh, you know. There's another podcast where actually I'll do a, I'll just do this as a quick plug, but it's directly relevant. I'm going to be going on this podcast called Eye of the Duck and talking about Highlander. and oh, great! And, and um, it, which might be out by the time this one's on. And and the Eye of the Duck guys, uh, their whole thesis. For their show, the reason they call it "Eye of the Duck" was it something that David Lynch uh, said in an interview of how a f- a f- to get to know a duck, you have to look into its eye. It's not about like the beak mm. or the feathers or blah 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 blah. But and and a film is the same way. There's sort of one uh, scene that right. would be Epitomizes. the cr- sort of uh, the crystalline core or whatever you want to say, right? This the, you know the essence yeah. of it. Um, and for me, you know, there's an uh, so their whole podcast, which is wonderful, is all about um, is about that idea and, and working out what, and then ultimately at the, end, at the end of it, they say, "What is that eye of the duck scene?" Um, and you know, you could certainly make the argument that in in that line and that moment is actually the what this film is is ultimately about, which is the complexities of uh, a brotherly love. Actually, mm. you know, um, because they push and pull and fight and right. Have it, literally have a physical fight at one point but ultimately they have each other's backs come you know like t- to whether it's life or death you know and uh and you know which is without wanting to spoil the ending of the film you know we, we we have kind of spoiled a lot i won't say you know get into any of the specifics but this is you know that those are the themes and ideas that i think the film is is kind of uh is is wrestling with and uh there is a lot of heart and soul in this movie, even though it isn't, you know, uh, it, it's an action, it's an action movie. It's a, it is, it is a popcorn movie. That doesn't need to be pejorative
1: yeah. you know,
0: or, or be embarrassed to say that it's a popcorn movie. No, um, no, no. it's, but it is also full filled with heart and soul and exuberance and life and love and, you know, uh, just a glorious, you know kaleidoscopic uh you know weird love letter to la <laughs> you know yeah uh shot out of a cannon you know and uh like you said heightened, it.
1: heightened la heightened yeah to a degree heightened reality but but real and the, the emotions are real and they really are powerful and the duality of partnership and brotherhood and and yeah it's it's all there and it's it's really 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 good and i like that the only flashback we do get are the two brothers and them just kind of hanging out and you know, kicking up their feet in the car and, you know, you get to see the sneakers. And um, I thought that quickly just gave us so much. But they really do feel like brothers. And believe me, I like I said, I have one, Gianni, my and we're best friends. And shout we, out. Yeah, to yeah Lil shout Lil out. Johnny. Uh, he was in the Super Mario, Brothers episode. We talk about Mario and he's a massive gamer and he and I were only two years apart. So we were we grew up together and i don't remember before him i was only two when he was born so uh and we often got marooned together and you know we kept each other company and we would also fight like crazy but it was because we loved each other so much and yeah there were so many of those moments where we would just come together and like when we knew we had to work together to beat it to beat a situation we were just mind meld like you said i loved how you said that um But then in the next second, we're bickering again, you know, and uh, even sometimes he comes out here and he'll like, I'll just be like, stop doing that. What are you doing? You know, like he'll come into my apartment and just, you know, he's an amazing cook. And sometimes we will just start like moving everything around. I'm just like, I have a system, even though it's terrible. (laughs) And he's like, I I can't find the spatula to save my ass. (laughs) And I'm just like, stop rearranging everything, you know. um, But the ability for those two actors to encapsulate that moment to moment, you know, the bickering bickering, loving. Uh, it's beautiful. And then ultimately coming together, you know. And uh, it's a powerful movie. It really is. And um, But it is tragic when that moment, I think, when Will realizes that it's they're not getting out of this one, you know. And I think Danny is just so good at conning himself into things and he just never really quits until the very yeah, end. Yeah, there, there's definitely
0: a, the debt. There's a sort of moral, karmic debt to be paid that they both kind of realize, like, actually... We need to find some way to atone for, for what we've done and the damage yeah. that we've caused, even if it was uh, unintentional, and, and even if, in, in the case of Will, the intentions were actually very noble. Right. Um, but the yeah, it, it's uh, look if this is this movie is a fucking experience, man. It is a visceral experience that will stimulate, you know eyes, ears, body, heart and soul. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. it, it, that's what it's cinema should be, yeah. you know? And right. Michael Bay does know how to move uh, an audience. Absolutely. You know, um, even though, there, you know, there is a, a sort of, you know, there, there's a kind of controlled chaos uh, to all of this, that he doesn't lose sight of the human story at its no, center. Absolutely know? not. And, uh, He's a national
1: treasure. He really is. Yeah. And I, I, not, again, i love not him. Ironic. I absolutely love him. I'm season
0: tickets with Bay. You know, I'll, I buy, I'll, I'll go to the movies for basically everything he does. Yeah. Um, I won't miss know.
1: another one in the theater. That's for sure. And uh, I might have been a, a late convert, but I am. I'm here. And uh, guys, if you haven't seen this movie yet, Ambulance, it's so awesome. I need to check out the uh, 2005 uh, Danish uh, movie? yeah
0: it's actually not available currently oh, really? i tried to Shoot. watch it before we did this but you can't get it anywhere yeah it's you, out. you said you hadn't seen it right yeah i have i, I couldn't yeah. i watched the trailer uh it's very different it's very low budget right. and gritty yeah. and kind of kind of you know it looks it looks similarly kinetic but um it certainly doesn't have any of the sheen that this that this film does yeah. but yeah it's hard to get it's very hard to get hold so of it seems to be un- unavailable on mm. any, it's not available on any streamer to rent by or, or otherwise currently. Mm. But um, apparently Michael Bay never saw it. And, okay. And he didn't, he, which I actually, some people might think that's kind of crazy, but I certainly relate to that as, as you don't necessarily want it to contaminate your, your, your version. creative purity. If you right. Like, you no, know? I love that. So, um, I totally get that. It's, yeah. You know, absolutely. Wanted to do it his own
1: way. So. Well, Phil, I love podcasting with you, man. It's, the it's best. a blast. It's this was a blast. Best. Thank you. Yeah, and uh, we'll we'll have you back. Um, we'll have you back soon enough. And ambulance, we'll, two. Ambulance, when? Yeah. <laughs> ambulance two. Ambulance. Uh, yeah. Ambulance two bloodlines. Yeah, I know. Let's uh, let's go make the movie so that we can then yes, do a podcast. Yes. On it. <laughs> All right, brother, any closing thoughts uh, before we wrap no, up No,
0: no, you, um, yeah, you, thank you so much for having me, for giving me the the platform. Uh, sorry if I got a little uh, preachio on oh, my soapbox. Oh, stop, box, you were great. But, um, I, I love it. You know, um, yeah, you can check out, um, uh, if you liked, uh, if you didn't mind me preaching on my soapbox, I don't generally do it on my show, uh, our show, Die Hard on a Blank, but yeah, um, please if you like action check that movies, out. Yeah, uh, especially from the '80s and the '90s. That's that is all we do, baby. Your show is um, so awesome. Thank you.
1: I'm such a fan. Tell Liam so I said yours. hi. That's why I'm here. Oh, thank you so much. Yeah, I um, yes, die hard on the blank. Everybody, check it out. I uh, I think I'll be joining you guys down the road. I might have a couple yes. more. Uh, yes. Uh, years? Well, not years in real time, but years of movie years time. of
0: movies. There's one in particular that we're uh, that we're saving for you. Yeah. yeah. Oh. Um,
1: <laughs> I'm pretty excited. Anyway, I hope I can not be too nervous on the show and not have my foot in my mouth no, no, the whole no. time.
0: We're, we're about, we'd be, we're be thrilled to have you, absolutely. So, um, <laughs> yeah, you've had me on three times, my goodness. So. I,
1: I can't wait for more. I'll, uh, you'll be back, my friend. I hope so. Thank you, Andy. Phil Gawthorn, and everybody. Go check him out. Die Hard on the Blank. And uh, keep your eyes peeled for this man and his works. <laughs> All right, everybody. Until next time, thank you for tuning in. Take care.